Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Hi, my name's Josh. For those of you that don't know me, uh, it's been a while since I've been up here preaching. I'm an, I'm an elder candidate here at City Light. Um, but yeah, like I said, I haven't been preaching for a little while, so this is sort of first time back. Uh, so it's great to be up here and, and sharing the word. Great to have you all with us. So who had a good Christmas and New Year's? A couple of hands. It was, I had a great Christmas and New Year's. Both were great. Uh, We're now into 2019 and we're sort of preparing for what the year holds and what it's going to unfold. And tonight we're kicking off a brand new series uh, at City Light, beginning the summer series, Habits of Grace, Disciplines for a Fruitful 2019. It's an opportunity for us to take a step back and look at the life that God has for us and how we might be able to reorient ourselves uh, for this new year. And tonight, uh, we're going to look at the topic or the discipline of money management. We're going to look to answer the question, how are we to use the resource, whether it's great or small, that God has graciously gifted us with? Those of you that have been around churches for a while may have heard some of the typical sermons regarding money. The classic sermons about money are kind of on a bit of a spectrum. On the one hand, we have these real prosperity sermons or prosperity theology, which sort of says, you know, give your money to the church and God will bless you. He will give you that promotion. He'll give you that pay rise. He'll give you that new car. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have preachers or churches that that kind of say, we don't want your money. Um, And these churches and preachers Um, really want to distance themselves from from the prosperity teaching that I mentioned a moment ago, so much so that they actually miss the wisdom and command from God uh, in the Bible, in his word, uh, on financial management, on how we use the resource that we have. The worst part about it is that unless a church fits into one of these polar opposing categories, uh, we don't really generally speaking, talk about money a whole lot in churches. Even in society, money is one of the most untalked about topics in our culture, possibly because it's so close to our identity. And we're in this hyper-tolerant, silently super-judgmental culture that's really unwilling to discuss anything so close to the self. And money is so close to our identity due to the fact that what we spend our money on characterises what we value and, as the Bible shows us, is a reflection of what's in our heart. So tonight we're going to discuss how we were created. We're going to look at tithing. We're going to talk about some of the cultural changes over the last 2,000 years, um, some good biblical principles for financial management, and we're going to look at uh, why we look at giving as a church in the first place. Before we do that, I'm going to pray, so bow your heads with me. Father God, thanks so much uh, for your word. Thank you that uh, you give us life and you give us everything we need in this life. Lord, be with us tonight as we open your word. Help us to see uh, your provision for us in this life. Uh, Help us to live in the purpose that you have for us, Lord, and open our eyes and our hearts uh, to hear what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So firstly, I want to look at how we were actually created We were created with a purpose. God created us to be in this earth and he created us with the things that we will need. I want to look at Genesis 1 and 2 um, briefly. 
So from Genesis 1, it reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And then it goes on in Genesis 2. We read, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded him, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So from these two accounts of creation, of, of the creation of humanity, we can see that we were created with a purpose, created to work the ground, to tend to God's creation, to steward it, to look after it. We were also created to be holy and set apart. As humans, we're distinguished from the rest of the created realm. And thirdly, we were created with the things that we need to do the work put before us. You know, it said that God gave us food to eat, gave us what we needed to sustain ourselves. And then came the fall in chapter 3. We decided as, as a race, as humans, that we were better off living as our own gods. And so we were cursed to work hard. And in Genesis 3 we read, And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labour all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And so now... Instead of our focus being on the purpose that God had given us in our creation, we're now distracted by the focus of working hard to sustain ourselves. We were created with a purpose, a purpose that remains, but now we must also work hard for the physical needs that we have. Not long later, Adam and Eve had children, Adam and Eve, who were talked about there, had children, twin boys, Cain and Abel. And this is where we find the, the, the earliest biblical record of tithing in Genesis 4, the offspring, uh, sorry, the offering that, that sparked a, a fight between Cain and Abel. Tithing is the setting aside of one-tenth of your produce or your income 
We're going to talk a bit more a little later about how tithing developed. But in Genesis 4, we see this first um, record of offering made. There's a lot of reading of scripture tonight, so bear with us. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have a male, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It's a bit of a tragic story, and we, we could take so much from, from that story. But what I want to focus on tonight initially is that it seems clear that even at the time of Cain and Abel, in the very beginning of time, God had given instruction clearly to Adam and his family regarding tithing, regarding offering. And that was part of life as God's children. And the purpose remains that we are created to live as a people set apart from the rest of the created realm. As the narrative of the Bible goes on, Moses outlined the laws of tithing for the Jewish people, God's people who were now set apart from the rest of the created people. And tithes were obligatory, much like taxes are today. As I said before, a tithe is a 10% amount of what you, what you earn. But in this society, they were built primarily on the economy of agriculture. The tithe wasn't necessarily taken from a wage, but rather from the food and the livestock that that family would have produced for the year. And the essence of the tithe was to take from the increase or from the profitability of the family rather than uh, what we might look as a 10% of my gross annual salary paid by my employer. Slightly different times. And the total tithe or tithes for a Jewish family actually amounted to about 23 and a third percent of the total income. We're going to break that down a little bit and unpack uh, the tithes of the Jewish people. The first tithe, which was called the regular tithe, a tithe given to the Levites, the descendants uh, from the tribe or the family of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And these people were priests and priest assistants and they worked in the temple and they were teachers and they conducted other trusted civil roles amongst the community. The Levites as a people were not permitted to own or inherit property. And so this tithe given to the Levites was actually their source of livelihood. A part of this tithe also went to further the work of the temple. The second tithe, the festival tithe, was another tithe to be separated and consumed in the temple. Again, they're talking about livestock and produce. 
It was to be consumed in the temple or in the presence of the Lord at the time of Jewish festivals. It was there to build reverence for God, reverence for the Lord, and as a kind of retreat for their family that they would actually step back from their work. And then thirdly, there was a poor man's tithe or a charity tithe. Every three years, this third tithe was to be separated and donated to. And I read from Deuteronomy, the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow within your city gates. And the widow within your city gates may come, eat and be satisfied. And so Levites and, and foreigners or refugees and orphans and widows within the community would be provided for by this tithe. But irrespective of the finer details surrounding the Jewish tithes and the Jewish laws, what's clear to me here is that God wants his people to be concerned for the well-being of those who work for the community, the leaders in the church, one's own and one's family's reverence for God, refugees or those who have come into the community, orphans and widows. And as we move through the Bible and into the New Testament, we can see the continuation of the tithe for the Christian under the new covenant of Jesus. And tonight I want to look a little bit at Hebrews 7 and 8. The writer to the Hebrews explains that Abraham, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, even though Melchizedek was not of the lineage of Levi. This was all before Moses had outlined the Jewish uh, tithe laws. And the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say that this tithe was commanded to be given to the Levites who had a priestly office. This is the office that Jesus has come to take over as the great high priest. And it's fair to say that the, the writer to the Hebrew Christians is saying that we ought to continue to give a tithe to the church for the mission of Christ, the ultimate Levite and priest. But I'm not here tonight uh, to tell you all to start or to continue tithing. However, as God set apart people, as people looking to grow in the character and the heart of Jesus, we do need to have concern and prayerful thought about how we use the resource that we have. Jesus said to the Pharisees that the tithe is important and that we ought to still do it. However, God's heart is about so much more than ticking off your list whether or not you've tithed on your income. It's recorded in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill and cumin and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. So get a picture here uh, from all of the narratives I've kind of gleaned from and especially here in Jesus' words that his heart and God's heart is for his church, it's for his children and we have a part to play in caring for the body that we're actually a part of. And so we are, here we are, 2,000 years later, kicking off 2019. Has anything changed? God's heart has remained the same. He's still concerned very much about his church. Our purpose in life 
still remains the same, still called to be set apart as God's children, still called to care for our created realm. Culture has certainly continued on its journey away from God and we have continued to believe the lie as a culture that we can be God in this life. So I want to look at how culture actually sees money. In our culture today, uh, we sort of have this understanding that more money equals more success. And to get more money, you need to further your career and further your education. I remember being in high school. It feels like a while ago now. uh, But I remember being in high school and looking at various career pathways, looking at some of the educational prerequisites. Not that either of these things are a bad thing, but I do wonder now where the discussion was surrounding family life and and this pursuit in life to be a parent, to create a home. The centre of senior high school was to get the best start in my career as possible. And I remember the career advisor saying to someone who had suggested what might be considered to be a mediocre career path, oh, what about something a bit further up the chain? You know, what, why don't you aim a little higher? So our culture is, is definitely about success, definitely about career advancement. As a culture, we also like to keep up with the Joneses. We're invaded with all the latest and greatest products, things that we need in order to live a good life, most of which are designed for our comfort and convenience, which you know, can often be a bit of a temptation there. We want the new 100-inch TV. We want the round-the-world trip. We want the new luxury SUV in the driveway. Again, this is where our culture tells us to look. We're living now in a world of immediacy, whereby we want everything that we see and everything that we like, we want it yesterday. Typically, typically, I mean, as a culture and generation, we are serial credit abusers. You know, we've got the credit cards, we've got the afterpay, we've got the zip pay, we're all about the interest free. We're typically, as a culture, terrible savers. Many people in our culture are living week to week, little to no saving. Typically, as a culture, we're status critics, always seeking the elevation of our own status and perceived success. And so our materialism and our financial status becomes our identity. This is the world that we live in today, the culture that we live in today, and yet As Christians, we're called to be set apart, as we saw before, right from the beginning. Be set apart in this world, to be in this world, not of this world. So where then, as a generation, as a culture, do we make space for generosity in our bigger, better, fancier, shiner, buy now, pay later culture? How do we make room for that? Often now, tithes and and generous givings in in 21st century churches has become that of an uncomfortable chore. As a predominantly cashless society, 
tithes and offerings are often, and again, generally speaking, have become putting whatever remaining change we might have on our person in an offering bowl at any given Sunday in any given church. Generally speaking. If God's heart and desire for his church has not changed in the last 2,000 years, then perhaps we could return to this picture in our lives today. When the church was established on earth 2,000 years ago, we see a stark and sobering contrast to the way that people used and managed their resource. We looked uh, probably about a month ago, or maybe more, uh, at the beginnings of Acts, the beginnings of the church, and I'm sure we're going to continue that in the new year. But I want to look again tonight for a brief moment at Acts 2. And we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Can you imagine a time or imagine a community where your needs would be known by the people around you? A community where we're all pursuing the blessing of, of others in the community with whatever resource we might have? Imagine having an opportunity to bless the lives of others around us and to be blessed by the lives of those around us. This is the life that God in fact calls us to in his church. And yet it seems so far from the life that our culture tells us we ought to live. I want to briefly look at some of the biblical financial principles um, that are in front of us that perhaps our culture has steered us away from. I want to get a little practical for a few moments. As God's holy and set-apart people, we know about tithing, we know about giving generously to the needs of others in our church and in our community. But what are we to do with the rest of the resource that God has so graciously given us? How can we actually look to be fruitful and further the blessing that we can be in the community? And how can we use what we have to glorify God with wisdom and with integrity? First, biblical financial principle. God is God, money is resource. We cannot serve both God and money. In Matthew 6, we find recorded Jesus saying, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that we cannot serve God if the true Lord of our life is money or wealth. Our heart can only truly serve one master and we need to be careful to ensure that the master of our heart is in fact God. We need to take what we have with an open hand, not to hold tight to the resource or to the possessions that we have, but to hold tight to the God in whom has given us what we have. Money and wealth will never satisfy you. It will only leave you wanting more. Have you ever eaten something that tasted so good that even though you were full, you just wanted to eat more? This is generally how I feel about pudding. And <laughs> yesterday we celebrated my brother's wedding and sort of after we'd, we'd all eaten, we were all full, then they cut the cake and served the cake, which of course, you know, I, ha- I had to partake of, you know, <laughs> had to. <laughs> but of course, you know, you, you eat it and, and you enjoy it and you want more because it doesn't truly satisfy. It's the same with money. We can pursue a better career or a bigger income, a bigger pocketbook, but it will never truly satisfy us because God is God and money is resource. In Ecclesiastes, we read this. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. The writer of Ecclesiastes saw that the pursuit of wealth would only bring emptiness. And this needs to be combated with the pursuit of God who has the ability and the capacity to bring true joy and contentment. So if Jesus says that where our treasure is, there our heart is also, how do we know what kind of heart we have? Rick Warren says this, here's how you know what's really important to people. Look at their calendar, look at their bank statement. The way we spend our time and the way we spend our money says what's really important to us. When, we, when you give to God, guess where your heart goes? It goes toward God. It draws you closer. It's an act of worship. This is another reason why Christians all over the world continue to tithe, continue to give generously to people around them. It grows a heart inclined towards God. Where our culture tells our hearts to look elsewhere, to look to things that are fleeting, giving of what we have grows a heart inclined towards God. Number two, the second biblical financial principle, the borrower is a slave to the debtor. If I might drop a notable Star Wars quote, it's a trap. (laughs) We find in Proverbs, the rich rule over the poor 
and the borrower is a slave to the lender. We are taught in our society and in our culture that debt, or perhaps the more positive angle, credit, is a tool to be used to be able to leverage your ability to consume. A number of years ago, I bought a motorcycle, which I love riding, and it's days like today that I miss riding. And I enjoyed learning the skill of riding bikes. But when it came time to pay for the, block, pay for the bike, I had naively arranged finance uh, with the dealer from where I was buying this bike, which resulted in me paying almost twice what this bike was actually worth in fees and in interest, even though I paid it off in a quarter of the time expected. And so when it came uh, to how my income was being spent, even after tithing and paying for my car and bike and living expenses, there was very little room to be generous to those around me or to serve someone else because my budget was so tight due to this debt that I was now trapped in. And at the end of the day, we pay a lender an exorbitant amount of interest and fees to get what we want immediately. And we are left with limitations on our financial flexibility and capacity for generosity. Debt catches us by telling us that we can have what we want today, feeding this very immediacy that our culture pursues. This is largely fueled by dissatisfaction and a lack of contentment with what we might already have. American Christian author John Bloom writes this, every time we compare ourselves to others and either exult in feeling superior or resent in feeling inferior to them, God is inviting us to glorify him by repenting of our pride and humbling ourselves under his mighty wise hand and trusting him to exalt us in the time and, exalt us in the time and way it seems best to him. Don't waste valuable time grumbling about gifts you don't have or resenting others for the gifts they do have. God calls us to be patient. And this might mean fighting the culture that we live in, waiting and saving to buy what it is we might want. The difficult thing that I learned uh, from managing my debts was that even though I had learned the trap that I was in, it would take some time before I could benefit from what I had learned and no longer be a slave to that debtor. Debt can have this incredible uh, grapple on our lives, can strangle us. And if tonight you're struggling with managing a debt, there are some great resources out there uh, that I would encourage you to consider looking at. And I'm more than happy to chat about the things I've learned and the resources I know of. Um, and if, yeah, if, if that's you, um, please like, talk to someone about it because there are people out there that can get you out of uh, that or help you get yourself out of uh, the, the, the difficult situation that debt can put us in. 
The third uh, biblical financial principle is pray for the things that we need. We've each been given gifts by God and by his grace to be used for our own sustainment and for the blessing of others around us. The Bible encourages us to continue to ask God for his provision in our lives. We read in Proverbs 30, it says, Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. And then again, in in the Lord's Prayer that we find recorded in Luke's Gospel, Jesus teaches us to pray, Give us each day our daily bread. Both in Proverbs and again, Jesus' words in Luke, uh, God teaches us to daily pray for the things that we need tomorrow. We're given everything we need in this life and we're encouraged to pray for exactly that. Not to pray for incredible wealth, but for the provision of the things that we need. And number four, the Bible teaches us to glorify God with our resource. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was on Christmas Day, Simon said to us that God calls us to give out all in response to him. God gave us the ultimate gift 2,000 years ago, his son who would die in our place for the sin that's in our lives. And this is why we continue to give both to God and to those around us because we've received so much in Jesus. And I think especially in, in my generation, there's, I guess, this stigma attached to giving. But I want to say tonight that there's, there is no minimum FPOS for being generous as a response to the love and grace of God. There's tithing and being generous is not a, a call for once you've, you've, got a certain, you've met a certain threshold of income for the financial year. It's not something to consider once you've paid off your mortgage or your kids have left home. It's something that we're all called to, irrespective of what the bottom line figure is. In 1 Peter 4, we read, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. We were created with this purpose to uh, take care of the created world. And God gives us what we need to do that. And we bring glory to God when we do that. So in 2019, I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider what you're able to give, whether it's to the church or to the people around you. Listen to the needs of those around you. If you're not in a discipleship group, this is a great place uh, to do that, to hear the needs of our community, to think of the ways that 
God has blessed you so that you might bless someone else, so that you might meet the needs of someone else. I want to encourage you to make your needs known. Again, a great opportunity for this is in a discipleship group. No one can have the opportunity to be generous with what they have if they don't have anywhere to give, if they don't have a need to meet. I'd like to encourage you as well to prayerfully consider the support of the wider church. Perhaps God's placed a particular passion or cause on your heart, a particular interest. I think in, it was August, we looked at some of the missions of the church. You know, we looked at those who are living in abject poverty. We looked at the persecuted church. We looked at some of the missionaries. You know, these are some of the things that, or some of the, the calls that we as Christians have to support, um, both prayerfully and with our, with our finance, with our resource. Finally, I want to answer the question, why do we give? I want this to be crystal clear as we leave tonight. We give to God, to others, because of the greatness of the gift of Jesus that we received and that we celebrate each Sunday, that we celebrate at Christmas, that we celebrate when we share the gospel with people around us. We give to bring glory to God, to make his name known in our world. We give as an act of worship to God. We give because we live a life set apart from our culture. We live a life as God's people. And this includes our lifestyle, the, the way that we behave, but it also includes how we use the resource we've been given. And finally, we give as a test of faith. As I said before, we hold what we have with open hands, ready to give it away, ready to, if life goes that way, have it taken away. We give as a test of faith, trusting that God does give us everything we need in this life, everything that we need to fulfill the purpose we've been created for. invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the many gifts that you give us, the gifts of grace uh, that we have in this life. We ask you, Father, that you would help us to be wise in how we steward the resource that we have. Help us to make good decisions about how we spend the money that we have. Lord, help us if we are trapped or have been trapped uh, by the temptations in our culture. Lord, guard our hearts and keep them fixed on you as Lord of our lives. It's so easy today uh, to, to veer from this path, but Lord, you desire us to pursue you with all of our lives. Lord, continue to meet the needs that we have Continue to give us our daily bread. The things that we need from day to day. Lord, we trust that 
you will continue to meet those needs. And Father, give us joyful hearts as we uh, share the many blessings you've given us. As we look to give to those who, who have less and as we receive from others who have more. Give us joyful hearts, Lord, to see your gospel at work this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.